This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast. And I've seen a number of operators who get the money and, you know, get the next three, four months booked out and then go and take on another unit, get that one booked out, get more money and go and get another unit. <laughs> and it just spirals out of control. So, I mean, my suggestion would be don't use any forward in cash flow money until you've made a profit and you use your profit margin to reinvest. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, everyone? Jonathan here, host of the Millennial Millionaire Podcast. For any first-time listeners, glad you could make it, and thank you for being here. A little background on me, I am, as you could have guessed, a millennial real estate side hustle investor, meaning I have a W-2 job and I real estate invest on the side or invest in real estate on the side. I love to network and learn and the purpose of this podcast is to help anyone out there looking to start or get better at investing or grow their business, do it a little more strategically. And hopefully avoid some of the mistakes that I have made or some of the guests have made along their real estate journeys. Um, why make the mistake yourself and you can learn it from someone else. Pretty good approach. Today, we have another amazing guest uh, focusing on a different part of the business than most traditional quote-unquote real estate investors. Um, Naeem is a short-term real estate specialist. We've had a couple on the show. Uh, Ed Gomberg, actually, who was our first guest ever. That was well, it feels like a long time ago at this point. But anyway, they were also, he was also a short-term rental investor growing a portfolio. What does that mean? Uh, typically, it's called Airbnb arbitrage or short-term rental arbitrage. You could look into it. There's tons of stuff out there on YouTube or Bigger Pockets, Facebook, tons on Facebook actually. And what it means is you, instead of buying something and renting it on Airbnb, you rent it and re-rent it on Airbnb. So in theory, you don't have as much overhead and you don't have as much risk. A la if a market turns down or if you need to change your business model quickly, you're only in it for a year instead of when you buy something, you tie up a lot of money and you are sort of locked to something, locked to a property, locked to a location and exiting is very difficult. So really interesting um, to learn about this side of the business and learn about some people that are doing it amazingly or the best at it, um, like Naeem and how he grew his business. So he's got a lot going on. He's launched um, a software that also helps guests and hosts manage their Airbnb or short-term rental um, portfolio, which there is a major gap of. I have just a couple short-term rental properties and the tools and the integrations with softwares and automation is just not there yet. So um, there is a need for something like this and that's probably why he has built it and it's done as well as it has. He also has a very large uh, short-term rental portfolio of his own that he actually controls and owns and then he manages for other people. So really interesting stuff there. A couple of things that stood out to me from this episode were uh, his specific advice for short-term investors um, getting started and adding better systems to their businesses. A lot of people in this space are looking to scale quickly and doing it um, without systems is really painful or it could be really difficult or even impossible. So he talks a lot about that. He also talks about just some of the biggest mistakes he sees everyday hosts making on Airbnb or short-term rental sites uh, and how to avoid them. It was pretty funny just him going through the laundry list of things that he thinks that hosts do 
maybe wrong or not ideally. So he, he goes through that and lists off a lot of the things that can be improved there. So it's really cool. Um, today's tangible tip is Google voice. Uh, I know that can mean different things to different people. Uh, in this context, if you are looking for a fake phone number or an additional phone number, I guess, uh, basically anyone that has a Gmail account, you can create a new phone number uh, associated to your Gmail account. You can actually create as many as you want. I think if you just get rid of the old one or if you start a new Gmail account or a new email, you can have another phone number. Uh, what is the point of this? Why do this? One, you can have uh, a separate private phone number that if you don't want to give out your personal number to random people or people that are going to spam you or call you, sorry to all my real estate broker friends out there, but um, if you put your name into one of those sites like Zillow, you will get 50 phone calls potentially, and you don't know where that information is going. So having something like this, you sort of protect yourself um, and keep a layer between you and the noise. Um, so that's one reason to do it. The other reason is it's almost like a separate layer of organization. So you can have certain things just go to that Google voice number and you can also have it for, let's say, different cities or areas that you're investing. If you want a local number, you can change whatever area code you have there. So I found that helpful in some of my out-of-state investing when uh, people may not be looking to pick up an out-of-state or out-of-county number, but if you have a local, you have a better chance. So um, that's today's quick tip, Google voice. You can make one anytime if you have a Gmail account or just sign up and create one. So very helpful there. Without any further ado, let's get to our episode with Naeem. Naeem, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on it. Yeah, man. Um, we were catching up a little before this. I was excited to have you on uh, just from chatting last week and then especially more this week with some of the stuff that's going on around Corona and short-term rentals and just real estate in general. So I had some really interesting conversations this week. Um, and I'd love to get into that with you because I know that's really um, a big part of your business and what you guys are help doing to help actually strengthen the short-term rental business. But um, before we get into any of that, do you mind giving our listeners a little background on yourself? How'd you get involved in real estate or tech or um, business in general, just from a high level? Sure. Um, a lot of questions there. Um, I guess business in general, I've, I've always run businesses from the, the mythical tuck shop as a kid and then starting to go into businesses I grew up. Um, how I got into uh, real estate was actually through um, a purchase for some family members that I did and then needing to rent that out and trying to maximize the income on it. And that's how I ended up um, hearing about Airbnb at the time and then found out there was a whole world of service apartments and other channels and um, how things worked. And then I tried to... Um, uh, I, I turned that into a business, basically managing for other people as well. And then I tried to find software to help run things. And I couldn't really get my head around what a PMS was and what channel manager was and why you needed two separate systems and what they did and what they didn't do and why they didn't do what you needed them to do and all sorts of questions like that. And then started, you know, as the business was growing, played around with different systems, kept being promised things. No one seemed to deliver what they promised kept overselling, under-delivering, and I just got fed up and I said, you know, there's nothing out there that really does what we needed to do. So three years ago, um, I uh, hired some developers and we started developing our own system. And for a long time, I actually thought, well, this is going to be our USP. You know, we're going to keep this in-house. We're going to solve our problems and we're going to go and set up the, the largest service apartment company in the world. And I um, soon realized that 
there was more potential in working um, on the software with others and actually trying to make a change in the industry as a whole. And I mean, perhaps we can talk a bit about it later, but basically we've gone beyond just um, having software to automate things. And we're also um, launching Zibu Direct, which will be this uh, OTA to, to allow guests and hosts to communicate directly without having to pay any commissions. So that's, that's me in a nutshell, I think. Cool. And just to dig into the, the one thing that you said, the problem or the thing you were trying to solve in-house, and it seems like that led to what you're doing today. What was that problem you were solving for? Um, I mean, as we grew, so uh, w once I finished my university a couple of years ago, um, I was managing, we were managing, I think, five, six units. And then within six months, we went to 50, 60 units. Um, and they were doing just, property management or short-term real short -term. estate management? Okay, short-term yeah, management short -term. of other people's properties. Got it. Yeah, so we then started going, I mean, part of that was arbitrage, which is how we managed to grow faster and partly we were managing for other people as well. Um, but it was all sort of Airbnb style short-term, you know, vacation rental service apartment um, type lettings. Um, so obviously we had to hire staff and then there was issues with training the staff and then there was issues with training staff in the software and then there was issues of unre unreliability on the software, you know, lack of features. So for example, um, we we weren't able to keep track of our maintenance issues. We weren't able to give the right access to our housekeepers. There was no mobile app for the housekeepers to um, log their cleans. We had issues with tracking which units had been cleaned. We had cleans that kept being left out from, from being cleaned. We had um, no manual processes around the finances, so charging guests, keeping secure deposits. We couldn't do that remotely. We had to send someone to meet them in person. Then there were delays because people would arrive late and wouldn't keep us informed, and we had to just chase people manually. So, you know, all the operational side, the, the financial breakdowns, calculating your profits, calculating the, the profit shares, how much the investors were making, all of that was largely reliant on... Um, uh, you know, human beings uh, doing the work. And in a lot of the cases, we had uh, mistakes, and those mistakes cost us a lot of money. I um, mean, you know, having to refund guests, losing out on income, forgetting to charge guests, having parties because we hadn't checked IDs because you didn't have the systems in place. You know, all these issues, which I think a lot of people out there still face, we also face. Gotcha. Okay, 100%. That makes total sense. So you were, what was the main focus of, I guess the real estate business before you got into tech as you were scaling, was it Airbnb arbitrage or short-term arbitrage? Was it property management for other people? I guess, where were you making the most money um, or sure. your time and energy at the beginning? So, I mean, we started off managing for people just because that's the way that things happen. And I was really planning to build a business. I, you know, after starting to rent all these properties, I just put on my Airbnb profile that managed for other people. It was a super host. So some people approached me. Then I went back to my last year at uni. I'd hired someone to run the business in the meantime. Um, so, so that's how we um, started. And then trying to find more leads um, to manage for people. Um, I started talking to some landlords and they didn't really want to take the risk. So they said, you know, we're happy to give you the units, but we want a guaranteed rent. Um, so I didn't really know about this, what they call rent to rent in the UK or what you call arbitrage over in the US. Um, it just sort of happened, you know, and then I'm, that's how we started expanding. And then obviously there I needed to have some um, money to buy the furniture where previously the landlords had been financing the furniture. So it, it just sort of evolved organically without really um, knowing the terms of what I was getting into. And I, it was probably early days compared to most people in, in the industry now at sort of the, the entrance scale. I know service apartments have been running for years, you know, with the part hotel operators and so on. But I, I didn't come from that background. I just came, you know, from the background as a startup, someone trying to 
um, build a small business up. So there were fairly few players at the time and we made good money. Obviously now the market is a lot tougher and it's tougher to make money as well because there's a lot of people trying it. And I have a feeling where, you know, at the top of the curve and things are going to um, slow down and the market will have to re-equilibrate, especially the coronavirus, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later again. <laughs> Um, but basically at the time, yeah, the purpose, the, the point was to try and expand the business. And then once I expanded it that fast, I then had reliability issues and we were suffering with the quality of the service we provided. So I actually stopped growing. Um, and for about two years, I kept it at that size and, you know, focused on training staff and started working on the software. Um, because I realized at the time? We were around 50, 60 units, I think, mid-50s or something like that. Under did, Sorry? The 56 units that you guys were managing or optimizing for people, right? Or that we had an arbitrage. So it was, um, I don't know the proportion, but more than half were an arbitrage. And then we had a, a small part that were managed. Um, and basically, uh, the point was still expanding the business, that that was the purpose, but I needed the tools to be able to do it. So for the next two years, you know, I stopped expansion and I focused on, um, just optimizing the business as it was um, and trying to work on the software to be able to get to a point where we then had um, sufficient backing to be able to expand without a service uh, facing these issues in the service quality that we were delivering to our guests. Got it. That makes total sense. So we'll get into that. But I love the fact that you solved, you were solving, you, in creating a business, you were really solving for the problem you had, which you probably saw a lot of other people had, which I think is Typically, this isn't earth shattering or nothing anyone doesn't know, but typically how I think some of the best businesses get started from entrepreneurs that are just looking to solve their own business problem and then it develops into something else. So um, really cool stuff there. We'll dive more into the actual business um, later on in the show, but just going back into, I guess, that building process when you were going up to 56 units of either arbitrage or, or management, um, a question that I often get and I see in a lot of the posts and communities is... Um, well, there's three, but we'll go through them. The first one is how do I find leads for management or the best way to do that and how to have that conversation? Because I think a lot of people understand that they're not necessarily, they, they love the idea of arbitrage, but they're not necessarily excited about the idea of having to buy furniture. And they're not excited about the idea of potentially having to move that furniture if they have to change position. So I see a lot of people now maybe considering management more. So with mm -hmm. that said, I'm curious when you were scaling or your view on it now for let's say someone that's looking to help optimize someone's listing or go to a landlord that just has a traditional rental, how do you um, recommend they, they prospect for those leads? And then the second part of that is how do you recommend they have that conversation? So let's start with the prospecting part. Sure. Um, so, I mean, looking back and I, I think it's a question that I still have myself, you know, how do we find more people to manage for? Cause obviously we need to balance our risk with, we've got a lot of arbitrage. We are leasing hotel now. We're doing all sorts of things and we're in a very risky position. So um, we are launching our own brand to increase um, the proportion of properties that we manage on a commission basis. And that's exactly a question that we're now um, trying to think about again. You know, how do we find more properties that are managed? How do we share the risk with the landlords? Um, and I, I don't know if, if there's really um, that many clear ways of doing it rather than just saying, you know, you have to be good at sales and you have to try and hustle. So wherever you can get, get your leads from, get them. You know, whether it is attending networking meetings or personal contacts or just, you know, getting in conversations, talking to people about what you're doing. Um, 
you know, they might have properties themselves. They might be occupied at the time, you know, leave a card, say whenever your tenants leave, let's have a chat or uh, they might know someone who has a property or, you know, the properties we took on by management were really pretty much by chance, you know, the personal friends were buying properties or um, people who found us through our website or through Airbnb. Uh, and uh, one thing that we struggle with and hopefully we'll be able to resolve um, now that we're launching Keysark, this new brand for management, um, is that it's really difficult to target both guests and hosts online. So um, obviously you're trying to create a brand to get direct bookings from guests. And then if you're trying to mix up your social media and your website to also target landlords, it's it's tough basically. So uh, I, I can't tell you yet whether it's successful or not, but something we're trying is splitting up into two brands and obviously having the same on the back end in terms of the operations and the staffing and everything, just having two websites, two sets of social media, um, and putting content that is relevant um, for our tar target audience through each of those. Um, I mean, other ways of doing it is obviously, you know, going on, on pre-listing websites or paid for listing websites where you're likely to find owners directly. It's almost impossible to do it through a lettings agents. So um, in the UK, you've got things like Gumtree, for example, where owners can advertise directly. I think in the US, you guys have um, Craigslist. Is that what, what you call it? Um, so, so, you know, outlets like that, or even now you've got Facebook Marketplace where people list their properties for rental um, and trying to get the leads um, that way or, you know, going through planning portals or whatever uh, governmental databases you've got of new projects that are coming up, construction, you know, driving through town, talking to the builders, trying to get the details of the owners. Um, you know, yeah, I don't think there's one way of doing it. You just have to try every way you can. Makes total sense. Knowing what you know now, if you were to go back to the beginning, would you probably, would you be more inclined to start with Airbnb arbitrage? And again, we kind of just jumped right into it. Most, I would say listeners know at this point, but for those that don't, it's just the concept of finding a traditional landlord lease, taking that lease for 12 months, 18 months, whatever, and then you relist that property on Airbnb. And then traditional optimization or Airbnb management is just linking up with either a landlord or a host that may not be doing so well and setting up an agreement where you're either getting a management fee or a profit share. So considering those two options now, the pros and cons of both, if you could go back in time to when you're first getting started or let's say giving advice to a 22-year-old who's looking to get into this space, which route would you recommend they go and how would you recommend they do it? Okay. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that I never planned to start this business. It sort of just happened through a series of events I'm not going to go into. But I was not sitting there thinking, um, how am I going to make money? I'll build up this business. I actually had other businesses that were running that made much more sense as a business at the time. <laughs> um, this was something that I just sort of stumbled upon and it just went from one thing to the other and turned into a business and then turned into a business that was making money and was making good money and that I could grow. Um, sure. If I were to think about a business to build, I'm not sure this would be a business that I would have gone into at the time. I studied natural sciences, you know, I could have gone to, um, you know, some bio startup or some tech startup or something else. Um, something where maybe add a bit more value. And I always had the feeling that I wasn't adding much value by running a business. I mean, I was making money, but, what was my contribution to the world? Yes, okay, we're providing accommodation. And I had some struggles until, you know, we came to the tech and now I can see that maybe we're making contribution to the industry as a whole. But um, 
I would say also the market now is different from the market then. Um, and I would advise precaution um, for people who are looking to get into this, um, especially inside the coronavirus. But even without that, I think a lot of markets, um, you're seeing oversupply and um, demand is not uh, increasing at the same rate as supply. There's a lot of competition. Um, and in light of that, I, I would say, you know, do what I did as a 21-year-old, start by managing for people to reduce your risk. Um, I mean, at the time, I didn't know that arbitrage existed, but even if, it, if, if I had known, I didn't have the money to put into it. So in a way, for me, it just happened that way. I would now very proactively suggest do it that way if you can. Obviously, then, now that you want to talk about what conversation you're having with a landlord, it's a lot harder to convince a landlord to take over that risk because in the end, it's a risk. You know, either the landlord's taking it or you or you're sharing it somehow. Hmm. Got it. That makes total sense. So, yeah, that's, I've been hearing that more and more. And especially now, we'll shift next to Corona and current state of the business and, and how you think about it. But it seems like for a lot of people that have gone full cycle with short-term rentals, they dip the toe in the water, however they got exposure. This is just what I'm seeing from a lot of them. Then they scaled an arbitrage business where they were getting a lot of listings from landlords. They were building up furniture. They were building up listings, getting a lot of reviews. And then I have seen a lot of them shift into just either management or optimization for many reasons. But the first being they don't have to worry about all that furniture and overhead. And two, they kind of just take part in the upside and not necessarily any of the downside, you know, where yeah. if you're covering your own costs, you're on the hook for all the downside. And if you're not, the landlord is. So, I mean, it, it's to your point, hustle and salesmanship is probably kind of your, your route to doing that. Um, and just kind of conveying the value prop to landlords that, hey, you can be a stable tenant or, hey, they can probably make more money and that they have nothing to lose, at least trying it out. And they can always turn it back to a traditional rental. So um, shifting gears here a little bit, this is the week of 318, 2020. Um, we've had a couple interviews this week. Corona is uh, couldn't be more top of mind, especially in real estate, but just economy in general. Um, for whenever this releases this week, um, at least in the U.S., mostly everything is shutting down, quarantine, curfews in place. Um, everyone's home-based. I don't really know anyone working from an office this week. So um, there is a big impact on the economy and real estate in general. So I'm curious to hear from you, Naeem, how are you thinking about Corona in general? Like we can go into Corona, but maybe we could, you know, talk about that a little bit and then just how you think it's going to affect real estate. However, you know, jump, whatever jumps to mind hearing that, I'm really curious to get your opinion and your perspective. I think it's very uncertain times and obviously things could go a number of ways and I don't um, think I'm a prophet and don't want to really prophesy, <laughs> make prophecies of what, what will happen. I mean, what, what could happen is uh, I think we'll have some disruption in the short term, right? So I think two, two weeks to a month is a minimum that anyone's counting with that things are going to take. You know, I'm hearing things, you know, even six months a year and maybe, you know, a, a second or third wave of the virus coming back and hitting things again. So it's a very wide spectrum of possibilities that could happen. Um, obviously, the, the impact on the short-term rental industry, on the vacation travel industry in general, um, is something that we probably don't need to discuss. It's just awful. <laughs> um, the only thing I'd say there is whoever can make it through um, will be 
working under much better conditions once it's all over with a lot less competition and we'll make good money. Uh, the question is, you know, how much risk do you take to, to get through it? And how many resources, how, how much do you have in terms of resources to be able to get through it? How can you buffer things out and so on? Um, in terms of the real estate market as a whole, I don't have enough insights to um, be able to say, uh, you know, what the impact is or what it will be. Um, obviously, real estate is an asset, which at least you'll have bricks and mortars at some points. Um, people who have issues with um, renting things out, either long term or short term, might have issues in paying off their mortgages. We're seeing measures introduced by governments, such as in the UK, with um, you know, these holiday. Um, payments where you, you basically suspend your payments for two, three months, and then you have to pay an increased amount because you're still having to pay the interest, which gets added to the total that you've borrowed. Uh, once things have cleared up, obviously no one knows how long things are going to go for, how long these um, measures introduced by governments will be effective for, which governments are going to introduce them, whether people in the industry can actually tap into them. For example, in the UK, it seems to be at the moment that it's um, only something that homeowners who live in the uh, homes will be able to make use of. So obviously someone who's renting out rooms in their house on Airbnb and will have some benefit, but people who are actually doing arbitrage on entire units will not have any benefit from it. So I think we just need to wait and see over the coming weeks what's going to be announced by governments in terms of the aid packages available and what's going to happen to people who are renting and can't afford to pay their rents. Um, and obviously off the back of that, a lot of the stability of the real estate market as a whole will depend. So if people are and getting repossessed because they can't keep up with the mortgage payments because there's no impacts available, then obviously, you know, we're going to b- go back to 2008 or something close to that. You're, you're going to have a crash, property value is going down, um, which will mean whoever's got the liquid cash, uh, go and buy as much as you can at that point and hold up for the time being probably from investing in any sort of real estate. Makes sense. So it sounds like, just to sum it up, and if you have any other any points to add, please do. But it sounds like your view on it is there will be some immediate pain and challenge for people in the short-term space. Um, there will be extreme pain and challenge for people in the short-term space that aren't necessarily prepared uh, or have reserves or have a lot of overhead. But it seems like you think in the next three to six months, the people that do have reserves and have some capital ready to deploy, they it sounds like we'll have opportunity to maybe either come out ahead, pick some things up that are, you know, discounted or pick up listings that are discounted. And then um, there would be less competition. It sounds like. I think there's always something that you can take um, from a downturn uh, as a stepping stone to get to, to a better position. It's about, you know, how you place, play your cards, whether you have enough cards to play, um, whether you're reasoning properly or from a position of fear which will probably impact how you see, how you find the opportunities and how you deal with them. But I think there are opportunities and the right people will be able to um, make a good deal out of those. Got it. Makes total sense. Do you see anything creative in the short-term space like direct bookings or nursing, traveling nurse sites or contractor sites or anything else as a way to boost the situation or do you recommend people do that anyway? Uh, what's your view on those type of sites compared to just being on Airbnb? Yeah, I think risk reduction is one of the um, main things that everyone should be doing. So whether it involves, you know, talking to landlords, trying to see if they can get their rents um, reduced temporarily or going on some sort of management basis until things are back to normal. 
um, or whether it involves buffering it out by taking long-term tenants, traveling nurses, or even talking to, you know, uh, whoever's in charge. I know in the States it's different, but for example, in the UK, you've got um, the National Health Service, so the NHS, so talking to them about seeing whether they need canteen facilities. Obviously, self-contained apartments are ideal. They're much better than hotels because they've got their own um, kitchen and bathroom in-house. So seeing whatever options you have to buffer things out until we're back to normal. Now, obviously, I think the obvious question for everyone is um, most people make good money in the summer and lose in the winter. So they've just gone through a winter. They've lost money. Um, they want to be making money in the summer. Will they be able to make money in the summer? If so, they don't want to block their unit with a long-term debt that's going to last a whole year, where they will then have to swallow the loss and wait until 2021 summer to make money back. Um, and I think that's something that right now is very difficult to know, and um, anyone's guess is as good as mine. Um, and it'll depend on the, on the local market they're in and how things go with the virus and with government response and all of that. Um, in terms of boosting direct bookings, uh, definitely that's something that uh, is a better time now to spend time and energy on than ever before. People are probably not as busy with bookings due to the cancellation, so they're sitting there thinking, what on earth can I do to support my business? Working on your website, working on your branding, working on your sales, um, dealing with, uh, you know, calling up um, guests who have stayed with you, trying to get repeat bookers. All of that are things that I would hi highly encourage people to do. Um, and it's something that we are also trying to put the tools out there to support people in doing um, whatever their size. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So like last night I put a post out and it was just talking about the, my strategy for, for spring of 2020 and like the, one of the four points, which a lot of people are preaching right now, but I think if you can get more specific with your learning, your networking and your prospecting and making sure that you have capital ready, you're putting yourself in the best position. And like, I was actually just at a Home Depot or uh, actually is, is Home Depot in, in the UK as well or Austria? No, we've got home base in the UK, I guess. It's, okay. It's basically it's just a huge department store with like everything like you can imagine for a home. They're yeah. massive. They're like many, uh, you know, soccer fields, pitch fields. So yeah, yeah. anyway, um, but I was talking to a contractor in there and he's saying, you know, um, we're going to need work. And typically what I find, it's so funny, you know, you can, you can find silver lining in anything. Most times contractors in like, at least in the last 10 years, they've been impossible to book or schedule. And I mm -hmm. think now the owners and real estate investors, again, this is outside of just short term arbitrage, but like, for example, I have a project that I've been kind of putting off and now the contractor said, we're going to need work. So I think if you can spin it and protect yourselves and think about what can you do now to prepare yourself for when things come back, um, mm -hmm. like that's a perfect example. Contractors, they're going to need work. Everything is shut down. So everything mm -hmm. is stopping. If you can give them work, you can probably get a lower rate. You can get more scheduling done. You can get projects done on your properties to get them ready so that you can come out that much further ahead. So um, I, I totally agree with your point there of just things you can do to be proactive and set yourself up and just keep getting smarter, keep thinking about things, keep getting more secure and, you know, liquid if possible so that you can act. Um, so just kind of moving down the line here, I know we talked about a lot of things in your past. Um, can you just tell us about today? What is your current, I guess, real estate portfolio and your, or your current focus? Um, I know you've got a lot of cool stuff going on with the, the tool, the, the tech, and the, the, the product you're putting out to help people manage. 
Um, so I've not gone down the route of ownership yet. I've actually kept reinvesting um, my profits into furniture, <laughs> deposits, and software, um, which means we've now grown. We're um, around 250 units, um, ranging from rooms to large houses. Um, and so we manage um, blocks of flats. Uh, we manage hotel and guest houses. And we're now trying, well, <laughs> up to now, we've been trying to, to look at purchasing um, a guest house and slowly going and building up a chain of, of guest houses where I think you get the best um, value for money in terms of um, being able to benefit from economies of scale uh, without having to lay down that much capital that you need to buy a block of flats. And we've decided to go for self-contained um, blocks, basically apartment blocks or guest houses, even in the arbitrage side because of the effect that it has on neighbors if you've got single units. Um, and I don't think that long-term that's going to be sustainable licensing issues what the government legislation will come into play. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at at the moment. We're operating, uh, I think, around 10 cities in the UK, and we've also started uh, doing some marketing work, management work for a campsite in Mongolia in the middle of the mountains. Wow, that's wild. Okay, I'd love to tie off with the offline on that. We were talking about going to Mongolia actually this summer, so that's really funny. Um, so, okay, just to understand, it sounds like the management side is one part where you're helping about right now 250 units manage or operate. That's a mix. It's a mix between management and arbitrage. Okay, so gotcha. So that you have, you have so what percentage, any idea on the percentage of, of either or is it pretty, you um, know, mixed? Probably around 80 arbitrage, if not more. Okay, gotcha. And then the rest, management optimization. Okay, so that's, I would call like the real estate side of the business. Like you're, you're kind of, um, I would say your real estate holdings and also your, your money and profits that you're making from real estate. Um, can you talk a little bit about your current focus on the technology and what you guys have going on this week and then kind of um, the launch and all the other things coming up for you guys this year? Sure. Um, so the, the software itself is called Zivu. Um, and I, I think I mentioned before, so we were looking for this PMS and channel manager and I, for those who haven't heard the terms before, PMS stands for Property Management System or Property Management Software in most cases. And it's basically the brains of a hospitality business. So you can think of it as being the central calendar with a lot of automation around it. So things like um, sending out automated emails, processing payments, uh, managing your housekeepers, managing your maintenance if you're lucky enough, that sort of thing. Um, the channel manager traditionally has gone and pulled the rates and the availability from the PMS and sent them to the various booking channels or agents. So, for example, booking.com, Airbnb. They're basically the bridge between your calendar and the calendar of the sites, but in very easy terms. Um, now, Zivu does both of those in one. Okay, so you don't need to have a separate system. We control your availability, your rates. We provide a lot of automation around various things, and we help you link to all these channels. And at the same time, what we care most about is direct bookings. So we give everyone a website um, for direct bookings with a built-in booking engine, which pulls live rates and availability, allows guests to place uh, booking directly with um, the host through the site. Um, and we've got various SEO tools built in to help with the rankings. And we allow you to add custom pages. And we're also um, uh, allowing people to um, run their own blog through Zivu to show up on the site. So essentially what we're trying to do is um, get away of the two website um, or two system issue 
that most people in the hospitality world face where they've got a booking engine and they've got a separate website. So you end up having to have a WordPress or a Wix website or whatever, and then linking that up and redirecting people. And obviously it's just adding a click to the whole thing and two content management systems to manage. And um, you've got, you know, problems around um, keeping that content up to date. If you want to add a new property, you have to add it into systems and all that sort of thing. So we're trying to do away with um, that facilitate direct bookings. We've got various other tools to help convert direct bookings, um, such as invoices with prompts for people to book direct, um, automated emails having prompts in them, which of course can be customized to, to, to remind the guests to book direct. So the benefits of booking direct, we've got automated capture of email addresses with um, GDPR compliant marketing. GDPR is European legislation for data um, protection rights. Um, so uh, all of those are things that we're trying to um, provide tools to the host to increase those direct bookings. And um, so we're 18th now in two days on the 20th of March, we're launching Zibu Direct, um, which is uh, an OTA like booking.com um, and it's going to be free for everyone. So people who are already on Zibu will automatically be listed, but if anyone else wants to join, if you had a lot of interest with other people who want to join, it's free. So you can just come, list your property. Obviously, you won't have access to all the channel management, property management system side of things, but you can still participate in this communal project of helping each other um, share those direct bookings, share the love. You know, someone comes and stays with us in Cambridge and they're going to go and stay in New York tomorrow. Obviously, I'm not managing any properties in New York, but instead of telling them, you know, go and book on booking.com, I just say, go and book on Zibu Direct, help another host, help another local business. Got it. Okay, that's awesome. Really, really good uh, explanation there. Thank you for that. So and you were both asking about the timeline. We just won two awards, Best Channel Manager Award last week. Um, wow. <laughs> And the most innovative new hospitality technology in the um, Innovation Excellence Innovation and Excellence Awards 2022 weeks ago. So things are going wow. pretty well. That's awesome, man. Okay, that's phenomenal. Congratulations on that. That's really cool. So I got to check it out first off, especially the, the stuff that I'm getting into. But it sounds like everyone else that's in this space needs to give it a check out, and we'll share it out. Make sure that everyone has access to the listing and thank um, you the, the site. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like a no-brainer. So, like, I guess with that, you know, just still related to some of the problems that people have when they're scaling this business and some of the problems you guys were solving for, like what are some of the biggest mistakes or challenges you see hosts making on a day-to-day -day basis? Oh, where do we start? <laughs> well, let's start from, let's start from um, setup probably. So at the point of getting a property and negotiating things with the landlords. Um, so I think one thing is that you need to make sure that the property has got the right licensing, if there's licensing in place, and if not, if you're willing to take the risk, um, put clauses in there to allow it to walk away and sort of sort out your furniture in case something goes wrong. So in case the block management company clamps down or the local authority, the government introduces legislation, which means you can't keep running your business, you're not left with a bunch of furniture. And it's not easy to do, and it's not easy to negotiate these clauses, but it's something that I think people need to try and do more. Um, okay, so you get your first bookings, obviously systems, make sure you've got the right systems in place. I don't want this to be a sales pitch. So I'm not going to talk too much about that, but I think there's a lot of mistakes that people do in selecting systems, selecting payment processing gateways, you know, being faced with chargebacks and frauds because they auto-processing payments and not using 3D secure payment links, um, not collecting ID, not getting terms and conditions signed, letting OTAs manage your payments, relying too much on OTAs to get the bookings in the first place, not building up their own direct bookings, um, spending too much time on admin instead of spending time trying to get the direct bookings in, in the first place. Um, 
And then once you've got the money, I think that's where one of the main issues with arbitrage starts. It's very difficult to know what money you've made, what your profit margin is, what's your money, and what's money that you should be setting aside for rent and bills and other expenses. Um, so it's a very cash flow positive business, um, which means it's very easy to go into overspending uh, and cash flow money until you've made a profit and you use your profit margin to reinvest. Really good point. Yeah, that's... And especially now, that's more relevant than ever with what's going on. I think people ex- expending or spending more than they have right now, and they're spending based on forecast. So, um, yeah, that makes total sense. Is there anything else? I mean, that's that was amazing, and that's really tangible feedback and tips for just like getting started. Is there anything, I guess, from a day-to-day operations that you see hosts not doing right in their properties as far as setup or pricing or availability, anything like that, that, you know, you see and you just, you just shake your head. I think it's a matter of just trying to optimize every area of the business, right? So if we're talking about interior design, make sure your units look nice. I mean, if your pictures don't sell, you're not going to get booked. Um, And if you can't get booked, you're going to drop your prices. You're just going to go out of business basically, or end up having lots of, guests causing you issues and whatnot. So make sure you dress your units nicely, spend the money on that and spend some money on professional photography. You know, there's nothing worse than getting on an OTA, clicking through the property and then seeing a bunch of dark pictures and missing bathroom photos because you hadn't made sure that the bathroom looked good enough. And if you don't have nice bathroom photos, no one's going to book because you don't want to go to a holiday to a unit that you don't know what the bathroom is going to be like. (laughs) True. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, the running, um, you have to be on top of your arrivals. Um, you have to be on top of every booking to make sure, you know, they've paid. If you take deposits, you've got the deposits, you've got, you've collected their real um, contact details so you can remarket in the future with the desired, um, with the required consent. Um, if your legislation requires in the country, you might need to collect details of all the guests staying, including their Um, ID details, you might want to get your terms and conditions signed and ID collected, and you need to keep track of each one of those for every booking. And there's not many tools out there that allow you to do that. Um, And if you don't do that, then you're just opening yourself to a whole bunch of risky situations, and things will go wrong. And when they go wrong, they'll cost you a lot of money um, and hassle, and, you know, they could cost you your whole business. So I think on that, um, you know, guest screening side of things, if you want, there's a lot to take care of. On the housekeeping side, sorry. Oh, no, so just on that, I think that's so yeah. important. I, I want to hear about house cleaning and uh, keeping as well, but just on the actual monitoring and background or checking of guests, is any tips for hosts on that of how to ensure that they're not getting people that are going to destroy the place or have a party or just be horrible guests screening? Sure. I mean, so the, basically I think we're at the stage now where it's a bit difficult. I mean, there's things you can do manually and then there's tools that are, starting to pop out. So for example, there's um, a, a company out there called Autohost, autohost.ai is their website. Um, so they're using data to try and make predictions and spot patterns on risky guests. Um, and I know that a number of large operators are starting to use them and are being quite successful in using that data. But I'm not sure how many small hosts, I mean, please, by all means, go and take a look. I've never used them myself, but I've had a chat with the CEO. We're talking about integrating our software with theirs. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what the costing is like and how affordable it is for small hosts or how worth it is to set up all of, you know, all the systems if you only got one unit. But there are a couple of things you can do yourself as well. So 
Um, for example, if, if it's a local guest, if you're collecting their ID and you see it's a local address, then you really should be asking questions. Why do I have a local guest staying? It usually means parties. Um, now, we don't want to be discriminating against people. I was very young myself when I went into this. But unfortunately, all our parties or the, the worst of our parties were th thrown by young guests. So if you see that the age um, is low, you know, ask questions. Um, you could have problems with escorts booking your place. Um, you want to identify that. You can you know, go and Google search their phone number. If you come across funny websites, you know you've got. Um, <laughs> we've had you know, knife chases because of escorts staying and pimps chasing them through neighbors' properties, and we've lost properties and landlords because of that. So things can get quite nasty if you, wow. if you can't up with them. Um, what other ways? I mean, trying to find them on Facebook, obviously, sometimes you'll find that they're, or Instagram, they're saying, you know, we're off to a party tonight, and you know you're not handing those fees over. <laughs> um, and on that point, you need to make sure that you don't release check-in instructions before you're absolutely certain that you're happy with the person you're getting. Because there's a lot of tools out there that, you know, they'll automate the sending the check-in instructions. Airbnb themselves, they offer, you know, once payment's completed, then you can get it sent out. But obviously, you've got people through Airbnb booking the party. Um, so you don't want your details to go out, you don't want the, that code for the key safe or even the address for the property, the house number for the apartment to go out before you're absolutely sure that you want to host that guest. And I know there's instant booking, but there's still measures you can take to make sure that you don't allow access to your apartment unless you want to have that guest in the property. Two questions on that. Do you actually ask for IDs or anything in their background? And then the second thing, what are some precautions you can take if someone does book instant? So um, we, uh, so Zebu itself now integrates with Signable, which is something like DocuSign or HelloSign. It's a digital signature platform, which allows us to send out our terms and conditions and collect ID for guests. Now, we only do this for the main guests, but if you want, you could also collect it for additional guests. Um, for us, it's a way of ensuring that the pay person who's paying is a person staying, and we've got a legal person who's taking responsibility in case things go wrong. It's already a lot of hassle, and guests don't really like it, and you could see your reviews being affected by it, but I think it's necessary if you want to have a long-term business set up um, and minimize your risk in doing so. Um, so that was a question about collecting ID, and you also asked... That was the first one. And then any tips for vetting out people that do instant book? I see. Okay, so for instant booking, um, obviously on Airbnb, you've got instant book. On websites like booking.com and Expedia, it's only instant book, right? So you don't like, get a chance to vet your guests. And I think um, if you want to run the business as a business, you can't just be on Airbnb. You need to have the setup. And obviously, you need to have a setup for direct bookings. And it's direct booking through your own website. You need to give people this... The, the same or better ease of booking than through an OTA. So you need to have instant booking on your website. Um, so it's just a question of how you deal with those bookings. So I think there's a few things that you can do to um, help uh, navigate things through the OTA or listing site, uh, such as publish your house rules, publish the fact that you take the security deposit if you do, and that you need your terms of condition signed um, and ID sent. So what that means is if someone books and then refuses to send you their ID, then you have something to go back to the OTA and say, well, essentially the guest is asking to cancel. I'm not going to give them the keys. Um, or they actually force them to go to the OTA if they want to get in or get a refund and argue that, you know, I wasn't happy to give my ID. Because if you've published that on your listing, then the person is forced to do it. Obviously, with Airbnb, you have to be careful. You can't take your own deposits, but you can still collect ID and you can still get the guests to sign your terms and conditions so that you're doing a second step of verification, even if it says ID verified on Airbnb. Um, I know the systems Airbnb uses for that. Sometimes it's automatic. Sometimes it's um, some VA sitting in some... <laughs> 
remote country who's got no clue about your business just i guess it does not mean your guest is safe if they're id verified in airbnb got it makes total sense that is such good information just one uh question what is ote ota okay so it sounds for i think traditionally it's said for online travel aggregator um a lot of people say online travel agent it basically means a booking site like booking.com or expedia which um traditionally used to be set up for hotels um and i guess what i call a listing site is something like airbnb or homeaway/verbo um where you've got individual apartments listed um so there's yeah they they're very similar but there's slight differences in the way that the things happen such as for example payments on an OTA usually you're in charge of payments but we're seeing also the two concepts starting to merge together you know Airbnb now allowing hotels boutique hotels to list allowing inventory count to be sent um booking.com starting to um take on the risk of uh, managing payments for the host trying to get more of the um, short term rental industry in Um so I think the two are starting to merge to something fairly similar on both sides. Got it. Okay, cool. Um last question before we go into the show wind down. What are the current actions you're taking today to move either of your businesses forward? Okay. Um so I'll start with Paymans which is a management/arbitrage company. So obviously right now we're trying to navigate through this crisis situation. Um we've started having weekly calls with all the managers of various departments um where we're trying to consult um you know in a loving and frank um, spirit uh, everyone expressing their concerns trying to see if through the clash of our opinions we can come up with right ideas um of how we can um minimize our risk and ensure that our business can survive through this which obviously is not going to be easy for us and i don't think it's going to be easy for anyone i mean i don't know if we're going to manage but we're trying our best on that um and uh, on the software side what we're trying to do is prepare for the launch which is imminent um we're trying our best to ensure that zebu direct will be ready on time we've actually got the first few users um onboarding their properties on there today um nice. testing the system seeing how things go um and yeah i mean to be able to keep improving the product for zebu direct we obviously need more subscriptions for zebu to help pay the bills i'm not taking on any vc funding um i'm I would like if I can um to manage to pay for things based on the money that we're making um by providing a good service to our users a good product to our users solving their pain points because what that means is that we can keep focusing on building the feature set that our users need the most we're actually working on a feature request and voting system so that we know what matters most to our users and we're not um obliged to meet you know certain targets sent uh, by external funders which could mean that in the end we're not providing as good a service to our partner hosts. Acting with like-minded people or surrounding yourself by like-minded people boosting you. So yeah, I mean we're uh, I'm on a large number of Facebook groups. Um I run my own Facebook group. It's called Service Accommodation Network in brackets global. Um I'm also talking to various other players in this in the industry various mentors um we are also considering setting up um the Kizark Academy which would basically provide some online training based on our experience um for hosts and if anyone feels that you know we seem to know what we're talking about the hope is that we can then get some leads um to help manage um we are offering very low rate management starting at 9% so that means that you know we can share our resources we've got full time revenue manager good marketing team sales team um to help and get more direct bookings for people and hopefully also help them navigate this crisis. Got it. Okay, makes total sense. Um 
how do you currently plan your days and why do you do it that way? I'm not a great day planner. I just do things. <laughs> um, when they come up, um, a lot of things seem to come up. I like to be on top of my tasks. So I like not to have anything outstanding. So I try to finish everything that comes up in a day that I can that day or schedule it. Um, there's a great book called Getting Things Done, which I read a couple of years ago, GTD. Highly recommend it if you haven't heard of it, go and read it. Um, or just go and read the cheat sheet and really try to abide by it. It means that, you know, I can respond to people usually within minutes unless I'm sitting on a podcast or an interview. And I just seem to get a lot more things done than by just putting things off and saying, I'm going to do this from 10 to 12 tomorrow. Obviously, some things you need to schedule in, some calls I need to schedule in. Um, but I try to retain as much flexibility as um, possible to be able to deal with tasks um, as and when they come up to speed things along. Makes total sense. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite way to stay educated? What platforms? Um, I must say so far, pretty much everything I've learned has been through experience. I'm a great doer. I'm not a big speaker and I just try, like to try things out and learn by doing, which means sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. <laughs> but overall, it seems to have worked out so far. Sure. Love it. Um, <sighs> There's probably tons, and I guess just for this question, you can't use your own, which I'm really excited to check out your tool, but are there any websites, apps, tools, or softwares you use on a day-to-day -day basis, I guess other than, let's say, just Airbnb in this case, that help you either organize or have systems in place that help you be more productive? Um, at times, I mean, I personally have used Asana. I've never used Asana for team management um, because the team grew and then you had to go on the paid for plan. And um, I'm not a big fan of paying for software. And we've now actually started using Basecamp um, because our team is uh, pretty much completely remote. Um, and I think the team seems to like that. You know, you can have your chats, you can have your groups, you can have campfires and so on. Um, so I think that one's pretty cool. We use things like... Um, I think it's called Time Clock Wizard for time monitoring for stuff. We're working remotely, but we're also trying to build part of these things into our own tool. Um, so, for example, we're releasing a housekeeper's app, um, which will allow uh, tracking location and timing. So, you know, that'll remove some of the, the necessity for using Time Clock Wizard. Um, obviously, WhatsApp is a big one. <laughs> Uh, we've tried moving away from WhatsApp. We tried, you know, using uh, something similar that was meant to be just for work, but then in the end of the day, it's just so much easier to keep everything on WhatsApp. And, you know, you just, you have to accept that sometimes staff will be replying to their personal messages during work time, which I think is fair enough, so long as they're, you know, motivated and productive. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Communication tools. And it's it's funny how you can you can segment things out or you can streamline everything into one and then the pros and cons of doing it that way, right? It's yeah. like, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. you want something segmented. Yeah, we've tried things like Trello as well, you know, and then it's a problem of getting people to use it. And when you've got a team of, you know, 20, 30, 50 people, um, getting the right departments on there, doing things the right way. At the end of the day, it's not that easy. So then there's the other problem that if systems are not integrating and talking to each other, then you then need to copy and paste data across, and that becomes very labor intensive. Um, and it means that mistakes are introduced. So that's why we're trying to, you know, build this all encompassing system, at least for our own business. Um, and I, I think the feedback we're getting is that a lot of people have pretty much the same pain points um, to be able to, you know, even do their task management within it. Um, but as I said, we, we, we have used in the past and are continuing to use outside tools as well.
um, they don't fully solve our issues still. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes total sense. Um, do you use any virtual assistants or how do you think about leverage or hiring out activities? So as I said, our team is remote. Um, I mean, our properties are based in the UK, but most of our team are based in other countries. Um, I, I don't like to call them virtual assistants because they're full-time employees. They, they are the team. They are my team. They, you know, they're my colleagues. We're working together on this. They're the ones running the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there's, there's cost savings but at the same time, you know, the countries that we're working with without going into too much detail, we're creating opportunities for people who else might not be able to, to have jobs. Um, so I think there, it's a win-win situation on both sides. 100% makes total sense. And I think that's probably the most scalable and effective way to do it. Um, we talked to so many people that are thinking their $4 virtual assistant is going to be giving them amazing service for an hour a week when it's just not typical, their task engine. So uh, that makes total sense. Okay. Um, we kind of talked about, I guess, the immediate um, next couple months, but what's next for you either in 2020 or even beyond 2020? Where do you see yourself? Mm-hmm. So I think what I'm trying personally to achieve is a system where, you know, there's a very close symbiosis obviously between the management of the properties and the arbitrage and the software that runs them. Um, the hope is that through through this cluster of businesses, we will make enough profit to start going into ownership of properties um, or be able to find, you know, lend off the back of the trading of the businesses. And then once we've got ownership, um, obviously we can go into flipping renovations, um, um, you know, buying good deals, renting out, um, reinvesting the money in property, which is managed by the property management company where the software is in-house, um, where we know that we can sort our issues out and keep automating and improving, optimizing and building an empire. Obviously, you know, with the coronavirus around the corner, it could all fall apart. We might need to pivot, change plans, raise external funding. Who knows? But for the time being, we're, we're on track and we're continuing. Yep. Very interesting time. We'll see how things t- turn out with this. And uh, when you're on for a, a part two in a year from now, or uh, after all this, it'll be interesting to see how the dust settles. So we will see. Um, what do you like to do for fun when you're not doing uh, management or software building or real estate investment? Um, so I, it might sound like I do quite a lot more work than I actually do. So I, I'm a great believer in negating as much as possible, um, which means that um, now with this situation, obviously I'm having to put a lot more hours in, but for the last couple of years, um, it's been relatively um, smooth sailing and um, I've been able to do a lot of things on the side. Um, I've been you know, doing community service projects, um, working with uh, children and junior youth, working on spiritual moral empowerment, trying to... Mm-hmm. Um, build communities in the, in the areas that I've lived in, um, trying to elevate the devotional character of the communities and uh, the neighborhoods. Um, I'm a Baha'i myself. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a, it's a world religion whose main purpose is world unity. Um, and Baha'is all over the world are trying to contribute to an ever-advancing civilization by ensuring that you know, we as a society can progress not just materially, but also spiritually and can do that hand in hand. So a lot of my efforts are um, actually focused towards trying to achieve that aim in various ways. Wow, that's awesome. Okay. What was the name of that? I want to just note that and we'll put it on. Sure. It's Baha'i, B-A-H-A-I. And the website is Baha'i.org. Okay. Very cool. Um, check there. Um, I started, I, mean, I, I played the classical guitar and the clarinet, but it's been a couple of years where other things have taken priority. So, you know, music's been a bit down the line. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I'm, you know, going for walks, being in nature, um, meeting up. I like cooking. I'm Persian Iranian heritage, so Persian food is quite good. Invite mm. a lot of people over, just have chats, try to elevate the conversations some more than the chit chat that goes around most days, and see, um, you know, what what we can learn from each other, how we can contribute to each other's lives on various levels um, and help contribute to society, how we can transform ourselves, how we can transform the environment around us. And through that transformation, hopefully achieve lasting change. Um, if it happens, you know, in the grassroots all over the world, the hope is that we can build peace and world unity. Wow. Love that. Great answer. Okay, cool. And uh, you like to travel, obviously. You're in Austria now. It seems like you find uh, a way to move around quite a bit, which is awesome. I actually wouldn't say I enjoy the traveling itself, but obviously when there's a lot of things to do, you need to get to places. Hopefully travel itself will be able to make some leaps forward in the coming decades so that it can become a, lot, a bit easier. But I, unfortunately, yes, I do travel quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, so just the last couple of questions here. Where can people learn more about you, your technology, your real estate business? What's the best way for people to either learn about you or connect with you? Sure. So, I mean, our website is zibu, zibu.com. Um, we share um, tips and tricks for operators on our blog. Um, and as I mentioned, through the management company, we might be setting up um, some training through that free training as well. Uh, unfortunately, my Facebook, Facebook is up at the limit. Um, so please don't add me on Facebook. You can add me on LinkedIn if you want. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you can also... Um, you can go on my personal website, um, which you find on my social media. Okay. Find me on Instagram as well. We'll link all that. Good stuff. Yeah. And yeah, well, that Facebook limit comes quick. <laughs> it does. Okay, cool. Um, last last question or the penultimate question. Um, what advice would you tell your younger self? Could be investing, could be life, could be anything. Um, it's a good question. I th- I think something that I would have done differently now from the business aspect is be um, more cautious in the people that you put on your team um, and try and make sure that from the beginning you're putting the right people on the team because I think it can make massive difference and probably has affected the things that have gone for us, the, the way things have gone. Um, I recently read a book um, called Who, um, WHO, I think it's New York at times Fessel or something like that. You easily find if you go on Amazon, um, which seems to have a fairly comprehensive way of how to best screen um, and hire candidates. I think that would be the number one takeaway for me. Yeah, that's really important, especially as you scale, work with people, leverage. It seems like most people that get to a larger stage of business, that seems to be the common problem, finding the right people, hiring the right people, training them. So, Really interesting. And it seems like if you could learn that on the front end, you'll be better off. Very yep. cool. The last question of the show, we talked about a little before we jumped on. And even it was similar how I reached out to you. And, you know, it's probably a little weird at some points when someone's asking, how can I bring you value? How can I help you, you know, before asking for something? But we really are believers in that, um, in this community, in this group, that if you're going to reach out to someone, try to bring value before you ask for value. You know, I'm sure you get questions all the time will you be my mentor? Hey, can you analyze this deal for me? Hey, would you do this or whatever? And you want to probably help as many people as you can, but you know, you only have so much time. So um, that said, 
is there anything right now that if someone was looking to connect with you or start a relationship on the right foot, um, that they could bring you value or help you with something or do something that would actually be a benefit to you? Um, I think the one thing that I will mention is a way that we can all help each other is by promoting Zivu Direct. Um, I think, especially in this time, especially the coronavirus, you know, we need to try and get those direct bookings up there. Um, and obviously we're providing the tool um, for this and the tool will only be useful if it's used. Um, and if anyone feels like helping us further, you know, take a look at Zivu, which is what is financing the development of Zivu Direct. Um, and have a think about whether you're able to support us um, rather than a channel manager that's just offering you a piece of software, whether you're able to embrace the direct booking revolution and join forces and help us make a difference um, for the industry as a whole. Love it. Absolutely. That sounds great. And I'm excited to check out the tools, especially during this time, because there's a lot of uncertainty and it's a time to probably build systems and get smarter with everything you're doing and come out ahead and, uh, you know, this will pass and we will get through it. It's just about coming out on the other side, being better than when you started. So, um, Naeem, thank you so much for jumping on. This was a great, informative, tangible interview. Um, you gave so many tips that people can actually just go out and apply today and they can go and check out some of the content you mentioned. So thank you for that. Thank you for putting out, I see your input in the communities a lot. We're in a lot of the same Facebook groups and bigger pockets. And I just see you commenting, helping people. So I can just tell it's your nature to go about doing that. And it's really nice to see. I don't see it that often um, for people that are always value add and that are not, you know, pitching a product, but they're just trying to help people. And it's really, really nice to see and really refreshing. So thank you for that. Um, before we hop off any parting words, anything you want to end on before we uh, hit stop. Um, well, I, I'd like to thank you for your time and the opportunity to be on the podcast. And I, I just think that, you know, united, um, we will be stronger and we just need to see how we can help each other, support each other um, to get through this crisis, how we can join our forces um, and hope for the best. And I guess pray for the best. And by that, I mean, actually pray. 100%. It's an interesting time. It'll be interesting to talk again and uh, do a part two when, like I said before, the dust settles and we see how things uh, are reshaped. But um, appreciate it. All the best. Have a great 2020 and beyond. And uh, be great. Talk soon. Thank you. Catch up soon.